0: Welcome. Come on in. I heard that little good morning voice out there, wherever that came from. Thank you. Good morning. Thanks for listening. (laughs) If you're here for the first time, welcome. My name's Mark. I have the best job on the planet. I get to be the teaching pastor at Redeeming Grace Church, and I love it. And this morning we are going to be doing a Kind of a, a, just a, a one-stop message on uh, giving. But before we do that, I just want to forecast the coming series. Uh, Kenneth mentioned this Advent series. It's called Come and See His Glory. And we're going to be focused on the glory of Christ through the Christmas season. The word glory in Hebrew is the word kabod, which means weight, means heavy. And we live in a time when largely in, in our culture, God is weightless. But there's this great, glorious weightiness. To who this living God is, and so we 're going to be feasting on that over the next four sundays and um, this morning, as we turn to the to the topic of generosity and giving i 'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in, in introducing the message in just a moment, but I just wanted to mention um, one resource um, that 's available this morning, the best sort of one page brief overview of uh, Christians and Tithing that, that I've found is written by D.A. Carson and that's available at the Welcome Center and there'll be a link for that in the, uh, the message follow-up as well. So I just want to make that uh, mention to you. So this morning we have a passage from Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. So I'm, in my Bible I'm on the last page of the Old Testament. We're in Malachi chapter 3. am going to read verses 6 through 12. And then one verse from 2 Corinthians 8 that will be the sort of the gospel connection for this passage. So hear the word of the Lord, the prophet Malachi speaking to Israel uh, in about the year probably 450 B.C., something like that. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. "...from the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you," says the Lord of hosts. But you say, "...how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me." But you say, "...how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions?" And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts, then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. And second Corinthians, chapter eight and verse nine. For, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Let's pray. O God, our Father, you are there and you are not silent. You are the speaking God and you are speaking to us through these words. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. We prayed earlier this morning, may your kingdom come and your will be done. And we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done with regards to our finances, to all that you've entrusted to us. And we pray by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we might be a people who excel in the grace of giving. We pray in his name and for his glory. Amen. So I want you to imagine... Someone has invited you over for Thanksgiving, and you're all excited about heading over to their home for dinner, and it's time to sit down and have the meal, and as you sit down, they bring out the food, and they bring out some shriveled up apples, there's half of salad from yesterday's Wendy's lunch. There's a couple of pieces of lasagna from last Sunday. You know, they're kind of how they get kind of dried and curly at the edges. A couple of those. They're serving you leftovers for Thanksgiving. I want you just to picture like how would you feel in that moment? And this isn't a family like this is all they've got. They're not poor. The refrigerator's full of food. The shelves in the pantry are full of food. They're doing fine financially. They just didn't want to waste their good food on guests like you. They wanted to keep it for themselves. And so you got the leftovers on Thanksgiving. Who would treat people that way? Can you imagine doing that to someone? Can you imagine someone doing that to you? Your guests deserve better than leftovers, don't they? Now... If you can't imagine treating your guests that way, I want to ask you this morning. Can you imagine anyone treating God that way? Because that's what these people in this passage are doing. That's God's assessment of how they're treating Him. They're giving Him the leftovers of their finances. And God cares so much about his people and what they do with their money that he sends a prophet to speak to them and to remind him of his perspective on these things. So the topic this morning is money. The question before us this morning is, should I tithe to my church? Now, I just want to explain a little background. Why are we doing this? And this is always challenging to talk uh, about money because we come to a gathering like this, many people in lots of different situations, from students to retired people at the close to the beginning of their careers and people closer to retirement in their careers, right? We've got the whole spectrum of people in all kinds of different situations. We're grateful for the generous giving that goes on constantly to make a meeting like this and church like this go. And we will be giving an update on kind of where we are as a church financially in a, in a couple of weeks on, on December 8th. But we do want to be a people who excel at the grace of giving, motivated by the gospel. We want to be a generous people. And so for the past several years, we've been bringing a message around Thanksgiving to stir up generosity going into the holiday season. Now, obviously, this message is going to be focused not so much on the generosity looking out, which we do continually want to encourage but on generosity toward the church in particular. And there have been members and elders for a number of years who have been asking for more teaching about giving and about and more clarification about what we think about tithing. And I want to tell you, this is hard to talk about. It's hard to talk about for a variety of reasons. Some churches, frankly, focus on money way too much. Some prosperity preachers preach that the church is sort of a money factory and we're not one of those churches and 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 yet we believe that the church is a place where disciples are made not money is made and believing that we believe that disciples need to be equipped in every area of their lives including financially we must teach the whole counsel of God and so this morning we want to want to take on this question should i tithe To my church. Now, we're going to talk about this here. We'll move into an Advent series after this. In 2020, we will do a longer series on the the bigger topic of stewardship how we manage well all that God entrusts to us, and finances are a part of that. If you read the Midweek Musings, which comes out on Thursdays as part of the RGC Connect, I wrote a post on this topic under the same question last Thursday. It's designed to complement what we're doing here. This morning, if you didn't read that and you're interested in that, it'll be connected with the um, link to in the, the message follow up. And if you want to know how to get that, you can see someone at the Welcome Center afterwards. So uh, and then next the next midweek musings, there'll be a list of resources, a longer list, sort of the best of related to topics of generosity and tithing and, and so on. So there's some some other uh, places to to fill out God's counsel to us here. But this morning. We want to focus on this. We want to focus on listening to God's word to us from Malachi 3. And then we want to briefly widen the lens to the broader teaching of Scripture to answer this question, should I tithe to my church? Now, I want to give you the, the spoiler alert. Here's, here's the, the principle that I think this text and 2 Corinthians 8 9 takes us to. Here's the overarching principle. Loving God truly means giving to God's work generously. That's the takeaway from this morning. I hope to prove that to you from the text here. Loving God truly means giving to God's work generously. I also want to say, as a congregation, for us to get where we believe God wants us to go as a church, we need the generous financial support of every person who calls RGC home. This is a cooperative effort. So let's let's think about what God's word is to us here in Malachi three. The first point is simply this. Stop robbing God. A bit of a shocking statement from the prophets. Don't make you feel comfortable. They're not designed to to make you feel good about yourself. And and they they don't uh, sort of uh, speak in ways that that um, maybe have a, a lot of relational skills connected with them. They're just very blunt and to the point. And so. Um, look back at verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. So there's the call from God, call to repentance. Where specifically? Verse 8. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You're cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. So let's ask a few questions to get to understanding this. First, what's going on here? What's the situation? Okay. Now, this is a, this is a people who are really backslidden. Their, their worship is cold. They're living this sort of this dead orthodoxy. When it comes to bringing their sacrifices, they're bringing blind sheep, lame sheep. Husbands are divorcing their wives for no good reasons. Employers are, are ripping off and stealing from their employees. People are taking advantage of the vulnerable in the society. So widows, orphans, so, sojourners, the, the immigrants in the society, all these people were being taken advantage of. It's, 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 it's a time not unlike the time that we live in today where There's sort of this cultural religion that doesn't really take root in the heart and lead to transformation. So we can live in a time where there are many people who profess to be Christians, but actually live really no differently than the rest of society. Now, there's a there's a background to this passage when we read the prophets. The prophets are responding always to something that God had said previously. A good summary of it was given a thousand years before Malachi's message. And that's in Deuteronomy 11. I just want to read you these verses because they provide the background to what Malachi is is speaking to in their lives. In Deuteronomy 11, God says to his people, and if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today, to love the Lord your God, to serve Him with all your heart, with all your soul, He will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain, in the later rain, and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And He will give grass in your fields for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. This is Moses' sermon, God's word to these people. So they have not listened to God persistently over a thousand years so the heavens have stopped giving the kind of rain that they need and there are people who are in in a pretty desperate condition and and in particular god is bringing to attention in this part of malachi that they're robbing him now how are they robbing god how are they robbing god what does that look like well robbery right think about that we know what that is it's it's just taking something that belongs to someone else right so You order pizza. The pizza delivery guy shows up at your house. He's got cheese on his beard. When you open the pizza box, this is what it looks like. And you say, dude, that was my pizza. That's not your pizza. You don't own that pizza. You can't be eating that pizza. You're robbing me of my pizza. Right? We understand how this works. God is saying this is what the people are doing to him. What was it that they were doing that, that causes God to, to call this robbery? What is God expecting from them? Well, he's, he says, how, how have we robbed you? He, he quotes them and he says, in your tithes and contributions. Now, what does that mean? What are tithes and contributions? Well, the word tithe means tenth or ten percent. So there was this system in Israel where there were, there were these tithes there was at least one probably several that functioned simultaneously and the people who lived there were called by god to bring these tithes to god you can read about them in leviticus 27 numbers 18 excuse me numbers 14 and deuteronomy 18 so we're not sure exactly how to put all the data together there but for the average person who lived in israel at the time god's claim on their increase their income. Remember, the, these were these were farmers largely, and so they would have been uh, uh, bringing 10% of their grapes or 10% of their wheat or whatever it, it might have been. God's claim on them would have been at the minimum 10%, and, and maybe as high as 20% or more on a yearly basis. That increase was designed to be given away for God's purposes and especially for God's temple. These people instead of doing that, thought just bringing some leftovers would be okay. And they didn't understand how greatly this offended God, what this revealed about their love, about their worship. And so God says, you're under my curse, my judgment. This was a big deal to God. And he's calling them to return to him. Repentance. Now, what does that look like? What does this return, what does this repentance look like? What does loving God look like when it comes to their money, to their income, to their increase? Well, it starts in the heart. Remember the Deuteronomy passage. He says, if you love the Lord, your God. What does love look like? Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. So, love in the heart works out into every part of the believer's life, including the finances. Do you know the most important verse in the Bible when it comes to tithing and giving? Do you know what it is? It's Genesis one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you know what that means? That means it's all His. The whole pizza is His. The box is His. The house is His. The globe is His. The universe is His. It's all His. He made it all, and we honor Him and worship Him and love Him when we recognize this and live not as owners ourselves, but as stewards or managers of what He entrusts to us. The believer's life, the Christian life, is to recognize that all that we have is entrusted to us by an owner, and we are managers of this. And so these stewards are called to bring in the full tithe. Not the little bit, not the leftovers that they were bringing. Now, you can keep reading in the chapter and you'll find that there were a few who would respond. Those who feared the Lord, they they got together, they made a little small group and they started encouraging one another. But sadly, God says in this passage for a thousand years... You've been turning aside from my statutes. And despite this intervention of the prophet, that would continue to be the storyline. They would continue to disobey. They would continue to only live this sort of cultural religion. And so 400 years later, you know what happens? Advent. The coming of the Lord. Jesus comes to make a new and better covenant which would give His people the new hearts they needed and the power of the Holy Spirit to live repentant lives, worshipful lives, and to be able to worship and love and serve and honor God in their finances. But sadly, that wasn't happening here. So, application. Are Christians who don't tithe robbing God, and this is where Pastor Mark drops the guilt bomb, Right? The moment we've all been dreading. No, we have never motivated that way, and we don't motivate that way. And while there are some Christians who read this as a simple transference, well, if they were robbing God by not tithing, then Christians are too, we have to recognize it's a little more complicated than that, isn't it? There is some continuity with what's happening here. They're believers and we're believers, but there's some significant discontinuity, isn't there? Take, for example, the temple. They were supposed to bring their tithes to the temple. How do you do that? You mail your check to like, number one Main Street in Jerusalem. Like, how do you do that? And there's no priestly system. There's no sacrifices. In fact, we know that Jesus has fulfilled that system and rendered it obsolete. So, so things have changed. What hasn't changed? God still cares about what his people do with their money. And loving God truly still means giving to God's work generously. So let's hold that principle and we'll come back to it after looking at the next point. The next point, the second half of the is repentance looks like this. Bring in the full tithe. Look at verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that you will, it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. Your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So a few more questions. What does obedience look like for these people? He says this, bring that full tithe into the storehouse. So loving God, worshiping God looks like this financial response, bringing in the full tithe. So what's the storehouse? Bring this tithe into the storehouse. Well, the storehouse would be the temple in Jerusalem. And he says, if you'll do that, there'll be food in my house. The temple, he says, is my house. This is the place of God's manifest presence. The Ark of the Covenant is there the sacrifices are made there the day of atonement is celebrated there when the high priest goes into the holy of holies and and this whole priesthood and this whole sacrificial system requires a, a lot of money and and food to make it work right there's all these people who are employed there's temple singers and there's priests and there's people who clean up and do maintenance and rebuild things that are broken and so so the, the idea here is he's saying if you'll tithe the way you're supposed to, this whole worship system centered around the, the, the temple, it will be provided for. He's saying, I want you to put me first in your finances, not last. Not just leave the leftovers. And, you know, if you think about it, they, they were a people who'd experienced the grace of God, too, just like we have. And we we would hope that in a moment like this they might be able to say, you know, if if God forgives me through those sacrifices and redeems me from my sin and its penalty, and if God brings me in to be a part of his people, why wouldn't I want to worship him by using his money and his ways? That's what's being looked for. And God does something extraordinary after that. He makes this offer. What is it? Did you catch this in the passage? What is the offer that God makes to these people? The New American Standard, the NIV, the CSB make this a little more clear than the ESV. The the, the offer is simply this, test me. Test me. The ESV says, test me in in these things. Put me to the test. As I read Scripture, I find this, I, I think this is a unique offer, a unique invitation anywhere in Scripture where God says, to the whole people of God. Put me to the test of this. This isn't like the test that they put him to in the wilderness where they're critiqued for refusing to believe that he would provide water for them when they were thirsty or food for them when they were hungry. That was a test of unbelief. He's saying, trust me in this. Can you believe that I will provide for you? That prophetic word that God brought to us this morning through through. Uh, Jordan in the the worship time is right along these lines. This is always the test, isn't it? Just slow down here. Just ponder. Where is it in your life right now? Because there's probably some place for every one of us. Where is it in your life right now that you're struggling to believe that God will provide for you? It's always the challenge, isn't it? Can you trust me to provide for you? That's the question God is giving to these people. Test me in this. Trust me in this. Look to see if I won't care for you. And implicit in this, you know what he's really, he might, might be sort of saying to them? Hey, how's it working out doing it your way? Think about their lives. They have, God has left them. He says, return to me and I will return to you. Do you know why he says that? Because he's pulled back from them. So they're not experiencing the presence of God in their lives. Their families are falling apart. They're using each other. They're taking advantage of each other. Society is becoming ruthless and heartless. And this is the good life? Is this really the life that you want? God is regularly asking us, consider your ways. Whose way actually works out better? The way it goes when you're in charge or the way it goes when I'm in charge? See, if we do things God's way, if we really let God take full control of our lives, will he really take care of us? That's the question, isn't it? That's where the rubber meets the road. But look how it works out for these people. They're living miserable lives doing things their way. Give God the leftovers and live under his judgment or live on 90% and have God's blessing. See, that's what God is, is offering to them. And He makes this promise. What promise does He make? He invites them to test Him. And He makes this promise. He says, look, if you'll obey me in this, see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until there's no more need. Windows of heaven open. You know what he's talking about to so a group of farmers? He's talking about rain. That rain that he said in Deuteronomy 11 would, would not be there for their crops. It isn't there for their crops. But he's saying, if you'll trust me and worship and honor me. Heaven's open. Rain. devour, rebuked. What's that all about? Locusts that come and eat their crops. Grapevines heavy with grapes. This is all symbolic for a kind of life that he's promising. Them. If you read Psalm one, these promises are, are are found there too. The person who meditates on God's word, the promises they'll prosper in everything that they do. There's this flourishing that comes from following God, trusting him and living his way. Families, society, businesses. Farms, the temple, all experiencing this shalom, this peace, this blessedness. And beyond themselves, it's not just what happens to them, it's what they become to the nations. So all the nations are going to call you blessed. Well, that's the whole purpose of the whole thing anyway. God wants his name to be great among the nations. And Israel is intended to be this light, this city set on a hill that all the nations can can come to and see the glory of God. Become worshipers of him as well. He's saying he's saying to this people who were poor, oppressed, occupied by the Persian Empire, they've got nothing going for them. Nobody would want to live in this place. He's saying, you're going to be the envy of the nations in a land of delight. It'd be like, I, don't know, I was trying to figure out some illustrations. It'd be like, remember CompuServe? It'd be like CompuServe saying, that's going to be... They were one of the big three. You know, America Online, CompuServe. You have to be not at the beginning of your career to know about this. Go look it up on Wikipedia. It'd be like saying CompuServe is going to be the, the titan of the industry, the tech industry, way beyond Google and Apple and Microsoft. They're gonna, their star is going to rise again. Maybe this hits home better. Sorry if this is uncomfortable and painful. But it'd be like saying the redskins are going to be the envy of every nfl franchise it, okay that works right sorry so so the idea here is like not likely and that's what god is saying to these people look this seems impossible But when you trust and follow God, shalom comes, flourishing comes, peace comes, a land of delight. And 400 years later, you know what happens? The windows of heaven open. And it isn't rain that comes. It's the Son of God who comes. And the greatest blessing ever sent from heaven descends upon the earth Jesus who comes to save us from our sins, to give us life, to give us new hearts, to give us abundant life. And you know what's happened since then? People from nations all over the world are streaming into His kingdom and saying, yes, it is a delight to be in His people. Now, can Christians claim this promise? Well, Let's just dismiss first any notion that this is a get-rich-quick scheme. That's not what this is about. This is a give-God-glory scheme. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. It's been well said. It's God's kingdom and glory. Christians are promised the blessing of an abundant life in Christ, complete with persecutions and suffering, right? Take up your cross and follow me is the call. The riches that we experience are the riches of fellowship with Him in this life and, and fellowship in His people in this life and the promise of an unspeakably great new heaven and new earth in the age to come. There are discontinuities here. Mention the temple. Another one would be God's people. Remember, this was a political, geographical people at the time. They had boundaries. We don't have boundaries to the people of God today. It's all who call upon the name of the Lord in every place. The The, the people of God, His holy nation, are a people that are spread out amongst all the political nations of the world. So there are some continuities and some discontinuities. Again, the timeless principle that clearly carries forward to us today is this, that loving God truly always means giving to God's work generously. So now let's just bring it home. What about tithing? What about tithing? Are Christians required to tithe? It seems like such a straightforward, simple question, doesn't it? Just give me a yes or a no. But if we survey all that God has to say to us, and again, I touched on this in more depth in the midweek musings, it, when we look from Genesis to Revelation, we find it's, it's actually very difficult to answer this question with just one word. Just, just one quick slice of, of the important date of the New Testament. Jesus commenced tithing once, and then after his cross work, his death, and resurrection and ascension, in the rest of the New Testament, we find no mention of tithing. It's neither commended nor is it prohibited. It's simply not mentioned. But when the topic of money comes up, we consistently find the theme is generosity. Gospel-motivated generosity. Be- Two Corinthians chapters eight and nine are the heart of the matter. If you want to get to the to the motherlode in in, in in this topic in in the New Testament, but the gospel. In, it, it motivates the generosity of God's people. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We read earlier, 2 Corinthians 8 9, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now, the context there is he's calling a people to excel in the grace of giving. He's calling a people to generosity, but it's based on what they've experienced and received from Christ. Now, in light of the New Testament, the New Covenant, silence about tithing, what do, we, what do we make of this? And are Christians required to tithe? It seems to me, and not, not everyone agrees with me, and that's fine, I get that, but it seems to me that tithing is not a law that carries over directly from the Old Covenant to the New, but it is a wise practice to continue, and I believe it's an excellent starting point in our giving. In Christ, we have a better covenant. We have a better sacrifice. We have a better priest. We have the blessing of new hearts and the power of the Holy Spirit. So why should we set for ourselves a lower standard of giving than God's people in the Old Testament? We have so much more. So if someone asked me, should I tithe? My short answer would be, you're not required to give away 10% of your income. But I strongly encourage you to start by giving away that much and to look for other opportunities to be generous and ready to give as well. Why not strive to give away 20% or 25% or 30% or more? God says, test me in this. Trust me that if you do things my way, I will take care of you. I would encourage you, wherever you are, you may be in a place where you can't even imagine what it would be like to give... 10% 10% based on whatever's going on in your life. That's okay. What does it look like to take a step of faith in trusting God with your finances and pursuing generosity? That's what he's calling us to. So, should I tie to my church? The second question. We've already seen that God gives no new covenant command to give a certain percentage of your money away. And perhaps that's to, to rescue us from the sense of, of, okay, what's the least I can do to check the box, to be okay. But he wants our hearts in these things. And so again, we're, we're in this arena of wisdom when it comes to tithing to your church. And this question is really one of priorities, isn't it? How does a Christian prioritize giving to his or her church? Is it church only? Is it church mainly? Is it church optional? the church not at all? How do do these priorities work out in our lives? Well, again, not everyone agrees with me about this, but I just want to provide the best perspective I can from my understanding of of scriptural principles is is this. I believe, I believe that your church should be your first priority when giving. Now, again, one of the difficulties in, in teaching on this is that I sort of have this sort of vested interest in this, don't I? Because I'm obviously deriving my living from working here. But I want to say I believe this as a biblical conviction quite apart from my vocational experience. I believe this before I was a pastor. I trust if God gives me days to be alive after being vocationally a pastor, that that, uh, this will be my conviction as well. And I want to give you two reasons. Two reasons why the church... Should be first priority in our giving first church is home base for your life as a disciple in jesus it 's your worship and training and outreach center giving to your church it's not, it's not a direct carryover from the temple but there's a pattern that Old Testament giving that went to that worship center of the of the temple I think sets a pattern for us that does carry forward in giving to the church there's there's a pattern there so The church is your home base for your life as a disciple. Second, think about this. If the church fails, there is no plan B for the world. All other ministries would be completely irrelevant and useless without the church. Para-church means alongside. Para-church ministries do wonderful things, but if there's no church, there's nothing to be alongside. And the church is the focus of God's plan of redemption. Jesus died for the church. Jesus is the chief shepherd of the church. Jesus is returning for his church. So I believe the church should be your first priority, not your only priority, but first priority. And Giving. So if someone asked me, Mark, should I tithe to my church? My short answer would be yes, because I think making your church first priority in giving is a wise and biblical practice. And I strongly encourage you to do that. If you're asking me that this morning. I strongly encourage you to, to, to do that. I also strongly encourage you to excel in the grace of giving seeking to give more and more both to your church and to other worthy people and organizations as God leads you. And by God's grace, I'll tell you, these have been the priorities that Leslie and I have have lived in and sought to carry out in our finances for our entire marriage. These are our convictions. Now, I understand, as we sit here this morning, there are people in a variety of situations, single parents, Students with maybe lots of student loans or people who have graduated with lots of loans or other kinds of debts, medical expenses. I understand that for some, giving away 10% may seem an impossibly lofty goal. And I just, just want to encourage you, God wants to meet you this morning right where you are. What He's calling us to is to trust Him to provide for us as we excel in the grace of giving, whatever that looks like for you. And for us to get where we believe God wants us to go as a church, we need that generous financial support from everyone who calls this church home. Loving God truly means giving to God's work generously. You know, in the gospel, giving to God's work generously is part of putting on Jesus' easy yoke and his light burden. There's great joy in that life. Three questions for application. These questions to consider. First, do you tithe your income? Do you give away more than 10%, less than 10%? Why? How'd you get there? What are your thoughts, convictions about that? Second, where does giving to your church fit into your financial practices? Question of priorities. What are your priorities with what you do give away? How'd you come to those convictions? Why? What are your what are your thoughts about that? Third, motivated by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who became poor so that we could become rich, gospel motivated. What would it take to move your giving up a notch? Maybe give away a few percent more next year than you did this year. What would that look like? How could you Get there motivated by grace. And I want to say, look, if you're not sure about how to think about all this, maybe you have questions or disagreements, or if if you recognize you really need some financial help kind of get your house in order financially, come talk to any of the elders. We would love to get together with you and help you work on this. We have a wonderful personal finance ministry. There's a class called Financial Peace University that starts up in mid-January. It's a great equipping place to learn how to get a handle on these things. You can go to the personal finance ministry on our website under resources and find out information there about that. The gospel has this wonderful liberating power. It sets us free from the fears that God won't provide for us. It sets us free from a life it's built around ourselves. It sets us free from grasping and holding on to the best and first for ourselves so that we can be a generous people because we've received so much from God. So that loving God truly leads to lives where we give to God's work generously and all the glory goes to our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And with that in mind, the worship team would come on up. Let's close singing to our great Savior, who makes it possible for us to live this way and possible for us to be a church that can gather together here this morning.